Shall we begin? Is everyone ready to begin? Can we have a show of hands? Superb. Hello, thank you. My name is Benji Rogers, and I've been asked by Brian to moderate this panel. It's the first time I've ever moderated a panel. My first ever time exhibiting what I do for a living now was at this same conference three, four years ago, so we've come full circle, I suppose. We have a fantastic panel, and we're going to talk about fans funding experiences. And we would like to take your questions as and when you have them. So feel free to just put your hand up and the mic will be brought to you if anything is kind of rolling and of the moment. I'd like to introduce Jay Sider, Zoe Keating, and Omri Moore. And Jay, tell us about yourself and what you do. Cool, thanks. Hi, my name is Jay Sider. I'm the CEO and founder of Bandpage. We have two goals in life. That is to help musicians reach your fans more effectively and make you more money. How we do that, we have now over half a million bands that use Bandpage, everyone from Rihanna and 50 Cent down to bands that are just getting started out around the world. And what they do is they set up their Bandpage profile, their music shows, photos, videos, and we then send that information out to places like your website, to Facebook, to Pandora, to Twitter. So anytime you add a new show date, it automatically adds across the internet. Anytime you add a new photo, it adds to your photo gallery on, under your, your website tab to Facebook and, and many other places. A new thing that we added, a new feature that we added to the profile is called experiences. And that's you know basically what we're gonna talk about today, which helps musicians find new revenue alongside album releases and shows, as well as kind of in between that time. Cool. Uh, hey guys, my name is Armin Moore and I'm the founder of CEO of Zebra and we have a subscription platform for supporting, for supporting artists. Our goal is to create sustainable creative careers and we believe it's through uh, patrons and people who love the arts and want to see it created more often. Yeah, that's about it. My name is Zoe Keening and I'm a cellist and a performer and composer and uh, I've been you know, doing fine as a musician for a number of years, and recently I've been trying to think of some some ways that I could kind of include fans or avid listeners a little more into my world. And I recently did two little toe dip experiments. One was to crowdfund a concert in London with the idea that I might start doing all of my tours that way, and that went really well. So my concert's happening next month in London. I think there's only two tickets left, so if you want to go. And then the other one was I've just started releasing all of my music as I'm creating it before it's finished. So I'm sort of in the mode of experimenting with fan experience and trying to figure out how I can incorporate those things into my world without selling out. Great. <laughs> so no selling out allowed. Can I just have a quick show of hands? Who here are musicians? Managers? Labels? Techie people? Excellent. Okay, good, good. So first question, and I think I'm gonna ask it to all three of you and then jump in as you see fit. Do we think that fans want to fund experiences? Could we say, for example, that fans want to have these experiences, want to get closer, want engagement? Do they actively want to fund them? That would be my question. Well, <laughs> I would say it depends. Some, some people definitely want to. Mm. Other people just want to experience it. So both, <laughs> but not always in the same so, way. So relative to the size of your fan base, yeah. would you say that... that because I know that you're very into analytics and you've really kind of done a lot of research into this. Would you say that there's, you know, a majority would be interested in funding stuff for you? Have you not approached that mm -hmm. kind of cusp with them? I would say a majority are not interested in funding, just like I'm probably not interested in funding everything. Right. But that, um, it does seem that there are a fair number of people who, whenever I post anything, they're like, how can I support this? 
That's, that's often yeah. their first thing. But that's certainly not everyone, and I think that's probably true so for the market as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but when um, people are buying your music, that's also funding, yes? Certainly. So that would be a, a broader audience, Yeah. right? So I think w when we think about you know, fan funding or, or experiences, we think like the extreme of like, cool, only the top five or 10% of an of a artist fan base is, wants to fund you in, in some way or another. But if you look at it more like a spectrum, and this is you know, something that's been around for a long time, this pyramid that shows minnows and dolphins and then whales, and um, you can Google that and it'll, it'll come up. And basically what it means is that there's a lot of people at the bottom that will give you a little bit of money or want to be involved you know, loosely. The mid-tier is slightly less, but they're willing to give a decent amount more. And then at the very top, the top triangle, there's only a few of them, but those people can make up to 25 to 50% of your overall revenue every year. And so when, I guess when I think about fan funding, it's, it's a term that's been more commonly used recently to, to describe that top tier, mm -hmm. but it, I don't know, I think there, it's just, you need to give people a way to interact with you at the level that they're mm -hmm. ready to interact and with. And so Omri, if I could ask as well, because Omri is very much in more in the subscription to a kind of ongoing experiential thing. How's uptake been for the artists that you've worked with? And do you think it's something that you can see an artist having a sustainable momentum with people subscribing? I think we've learned so far it's according to the artist mm -hmm. and their level of involvement with them, with their fans because at some level they can offer something that's as simple as $5 a month. Yeah. And it could be simple support. At another level it could be much more or it could be a one-off experience like you guys are offering where it's more based on retaining something or experiencing it. So it's according to the artist, but I definitely do think that there is a level of support that is wanted. Like mm -hmm. I said earlier, you know, I give often to artists in the Seattle community because I want to see their uh, career continue. Um, sometimes I get perks out of it, which is nice, but it's definitely an evolving thing. Mm. I do have to say, though, that buying a CD on iTunes doesn't feel the same as writing someone a check or getting a thank you um, or sitting there uh, at a, a, you know, a, a concert at someone's living room there's a totally different experience. So even though like, you know, new Daft Punk album, I bought three of them just so I can give it to my friends and say, don't, you know, rip it off the internet. I felt like I supported them, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I don't think they ever knew. Mm -hmm. So this whole fan funding yeah. category. And, and just some data on the fan funding thing. So basically, you know, Kickstarter, the largest fan funding company, has done about a half a billion dollars in crowdfunded projects. Um, one of the interesting statistics that came out of uh, South by Southwest from Nielsen was that the unaware and interested and um, interested and aware uh, totaled about $9 billion per year in the U.S. music industry alone. And they estimated that approximately $2.6 billion a year is left on the table because fans simply can't get what they want. So one of the things that I'd like to ask you guys is, is what is it that fans want? Do they want to fund experiences alone? Do they want experiences plus the music? Do they want to stream music and experience things? Is it all of the above? I mean, you know, you're going specifically into a, into a platform space where you're like, we are going to help artists offer these experiences directly to their fans. Mm -hmm. 
and is that scalable, do you think? Yeah, so, we, um, so we've been up, we just opened up experiences on our platform to 50 bands over the last couple of weeks, and they've made tens of thousands of dollars already in that, and I think that's just showing how badly fans want these types of um, moments with their, with their fans, or excuse me, how, how much the fans want it with the bands or the musicians. It, no, like you, you only want to interact with a couple of your favorite musicians in that way, but that's why I was kind of giving the spectrum of like, you know, even for myself, I only want that for, I only want that close connection. And, and the types of things that we're talking about are um, doing like a, a Skype interview or a Google Hangout if you're, you know, if you're in San Francisco and the fan is in New York, that a fan can buy that for a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or, you know, a thousand dollars. Or that you'll do a private show at their house or that you'll uh, write a song for them. Like any, any, you know, you can, it can be as imaginative as, as you want it to be. But as we're talking to musicians, it's funny because they, you know, you, you use the word like, you use the word sell out. You don't want to sell out. And that's, it's funny because fans are like dying to interact with you in this way. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about you finding the, the, you know, the point where you feel comfortable with it and it's still something the fans dying right. to do. There is the case though where like artists like myself, we might already be doing these things, but we just don't charge for them. Mm -hmm. So like in my case, um, you know, I'll have cello tweet ups before my concerts where I'll send out to Twitter like, hey, all you cellists, let's meet up at five o'clock and we'll play the cello together and then I'll have sound check and you can watch. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> or, uh, you know, I always do like an hour long meet and greet after my concerts. And um, so those are never, those are not things that I would ever charge anybody for. Mm -hmm. But I have been approaching it right now from the point of view that um, there's a lot more that I realize that my audience would like from me, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard for me to know how to manage the whole process. Um, because there's a lot of overhead involved in making sure like, okay, so if I have a concert of a thousand people and I can only fit in like 50 people beforehand, how do I choose which 50 people? Do I do like the first 50 on Twitter or um, should I actually, can I use something like a fan experience platform to, to moderate that experience a little bit and make it more controlled? Um, and then at the same time, um, I still feel pretty strongly there's some things that I would never charge for. But there, it came up recently at a concert, I was just on tour and uh, at my concerts, I always tell a little story. I play instrumental cello music with no words, so I tell stories beforehand about what the songs are. And um, the stories tend to change all the time because I don't want to keep repeating myself. And someone came up afterwards and said, I was really upset that you didn't tell that story again that you told last time, even though I played the song. And he said, you know, where can I get that story? Wow. And I was mm. like, whoa. <laughs> that sort of blew yeah. my mind. Because I'm, I'm a musician. I have no idea what <laughs> listeners want. I'm not a music fan. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, it's, <laughs> yeah. So like, I need some like, in some ways, what artists like me need is we need a we need to have a pre-stage where we do a survey of our listeners and find out like, well, what would you like from me? Do you want a package of stories? Like, what would you like? You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and in that regard, some some more data points would be that um, when uh, when Nielsen asked um, general music fans and specifically like you know, the more hardcore fans. Uh, no, sorry, when, when Nielsen asked the, the lowest common denominator of music fans, the ones that spend an average of $68 per year on music, that's about the most that they'll, you'll ever get out of these fans. Would you guys like access to something as it's being made? And would you like to be a part of this process and have it shared directly with you? And what would you pay for that? The average respondent said $67 per transaction. 
So I think that what the data is, tends to point to is, is that even the most casual consumer who wouldn't touch a lot of experiences is simply never exposed to them. And that's one of the reasons why I think there's such a huge potential in this experience space. But what I wanted to ask was, do you think that funding these experiences changes the artist to fan dynamic? And I'm sure that you, you've seen this yourselves, but um, if you're sitting with a manager saying, yeah, but we want to keep some of the mystery, we want to keep a piece of that back, we don't want to share all that stuff. Can you guys speak to, uh, speak to that side of things? And, sure, well, yeah. I could just quickly, I mean, that's, that's, just, that's sort of an art form in itself that is not neither here nor there about whether your experience is being funded or not. I think that, you know, I don't, you just learn how to like, I, what am I sharing and what I'm not sharing? And that's, you, an artist always has control of that, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we have talked to artists before and gotten backlash and say, well, you know, we want to be in our cave and we want to make music and when we want to pop out once in a year, create it and then have everybody talk about <laughs> that album and how it was made. But at the same time, we were talking about it earlier when Zoe was sharing with her fans about how the process of her songs were being made mm -hmm. and the rough cuts going along, that showed a lot of interest from mm -hmm. the fans. Yeah. So I, I think it's, there's a balance in there. Uh, I think another important thing is this is not a new idea. This has been happening forever. Um, you know, in, in the classical era, there was patronage and that, um, you know, kings and queens and folks were paying musicians to come live in their house and, and you know, write a piece for their ball that they were doing. I mean, and, that's been And around. to be charming at their parties. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> and then um, we've been doing fan clubs uh, forever, um, you know, but on the artist's website, kind of in the corner of the internet, and so it's hard for me as a fan, you know, I like all these different bands, but it's hard to find for this particular band that experience, and so it feels like a, you know, kind of a secluded thing. Um, and I think a, a way to think about it is with Airbnb, people were renting out their homes for a long time on their own site, um, and, and um, Airbnb kind of brought it together to say, hey, here's a lot of places you can stay in San Francisco instead of having to like search on the internet places I can stay and, and I think that's what you know the, the mm -hmm. things the solutions that we're building is it, it we're just kind of bringing that same thing that's been happening for hundreds of years in an organized way to the forefront mm -hmm. and you know especially at the moment where musicians um, are really looking for for new revenue um, as things are changing quite a bit like there's 2.6 billion dollars mm -hmm. that um, you know, can be made, and, and that's not just for big artists. Uh, I know, I'm sorry, that's one of your questions. <laughs> Maybe so. you should figure out a way next. I was just thinking about Airbnb, and that's a real, that's that's an interesting, uh, good analogy. But okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> the next thing is to put that up with fan experiences, so that so that then <laughs> people will be paying the artists to come stay in their house. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And, and then to like leave. A whole, a whole new way <laughs> to like, do a tour. <laughs> yeah, right. So the the fan the fan pays to put you yeah. up all, along your tour. Great. <laughs> but to give you an example, I mean, it's a lot of, you know, th there's, there's a saying in the music industry, which is that, you know, never meet the artist, because sometimes that can really change the dynamic, which is the reason I brought that up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, certain times you'll meet your absolute hero in a restaurant or something, and there yeah. will just be an absolute... Yeah, we did this, I mean, you know, I toured with Amanda Palmer for um, yeah. a while there, and uh, we always stayed in fans' houses, um, and she had, you know, an administrative person who arranged all these things. They were really hard to arrange, and sometimes it was, you know, a little awkward <laughs> <laughs> to come out of the shower and they're all like looking at you. But <laughs> <laughs> so, but that—that's sort of an extreme yeah. level of fan, fan engagement there. So, um, <laughs> we we touched upon briefly about, you know. 
do fans know what they want or do you look to guide them? Um, when you are talking to managers and artists and whatnot, are there certain do's and don'ts you give them? Do you say, listen, be careful of this, watch out? I know from personal experience, we have to have a list of, you know, blacklisted people that can't come on. There's a whole kind of, when you're dealing with famous people, there's a lot of crazy people around them too. So do you guys have guidelines around that that you bring out or? Sure, I mean, just the same as like, uh, as you would be in public, the same online, like you're interacting with real people. So, um, you know, whatever you're willing to do in public, also do here. Um, and then of course, you know, there are regulations that you, we keep everybody uh, within. But really for each artist, it's, it's uh, very different from one to the next, like what they want to do and, and how comfortable they are being, uh, you know, as, as open as they want to be or, you know, doing more traditional things like, you know, a, a specialized mer merch package with like a 10 minute Skype, you know, interview. So it can be, um, I, I think the thing, the thing that we've seen is just, it's, there is, there is not like a, you know, we can give people ideas uh, of what they can do, but, um, you know, if you if you kind of set it up and limit it to that, then musicians get turned off to, well, that's not really me. So right. they feel put in a box instead of like, no, like you were saying earlier, like th those are things that you give away for free, what, you know, which other people might sell. So what is it specifically for you that you feel comfortable with um, that gets your fans excited? Yeah, it's like, it's that fine line between comfort and authenticity, mm -hmm. which every artist strives to hit. And it's so fucking hard. <laughs> so, and then you attach a dollar value to it. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think we, we have guidelines and recommendations, but we get suggestions all the time. And I think one of the biggest joys about this space and even the sharing economy is just uh, letting people be creative about it and letting them, you know, use their own. But mind. so, if someone to do something that you guys were questionable on from the from the platform side of things, would you? Would you make a call to say no? You can't offer that. Yeah. Or would you let it ride? Well, we have terms of service that you know of things that you can do. You cannot sell illegal drugs. You cannot sell, you know, uh, intimate moments with the artist. <laughs> you cannot sell. You know. The reason I ask this is because we actually had to seek legal counsel as to whether someone could offer a ten million dollar threesome with Mick Jagger, ah. and the answer is no. You can't. It's online solicitation. Um, but you can sell files of your own blood as long as it's not a certain amount. It's so good to know where the line is. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. You just have to confirm whose blood it is and you can't transport it into certain countries. So. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, do you think that these experiences should be, should be marketed to all fans or to just the hardcore? Because one of the things that I know that if you're offering certain experiences in certain places, you're literally excluding huge numbers of people. Sure. And um, a lot of times I know that there was some issues with artists selling stuff on eBay, which meant that it was rewarding those that could afford it who were prospecting on things. So how do you set that tone and balance in, I guess, across your entire musical career, but in specifically when we're talking about platforms offering experiences? Do you have guidelines for people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, what we what we do is recommend that artists set up three different tiers. So, like we were talking about, kind of the minnows, dolphins, and whales, that pyramid um, that I talked about earlier, is offer something for a couple bucks. That's that's really simple, um, and then offer something for you know forty, fifty bucks, and then offer something for a couple hundred bucks. And that's you know if you're a brand new band, then that's that those prices are all gonna you know come down a little bit. If you're if if there's more demand for that, then you can then you can take it up. But don't just put up a high price thing because 
and, and we've seen this. So, for example, if an artist is like, "Hey, for 500 bucks, um, you know, we'll write a song for you, or write like a two-minute song, um, or, or let's go up a little bit more, like a thousand, um, and you post that on Facebook and Twitter, a lot of most of those people there that are following you on those on those networks or just in your fan base, a lot of them are that um, kind of the minnows." Um, um, that are willing to spend a little bit of money and like you, but aren't going to spend that top dollar. And so when you post that, you're immediately um, not connecting with all of those fans that only want to interact with you at that, you know, a couple dollar range. Um, and so they feel excluded. And so what we suggest is that you you put a link to band page which shows three different um, experiences. One at a you know a lower level, but it's it's still fun and interactive. One at medium and one at a high. And they all sell out, by the way, oh. usually. That's good information. Yeah. Well, I've, I've never done it before, so you know, I'm, I'm still in the experimental phase. But I, I did, um, you know, recently I uh, did this thing with Songkick where I, you know, crowdfunded a concert in London, and it all went really well. But I did receive quite a few comments from people saying that, well, you know, I don't want to have to sign up for another service, you know, in between me and you. Like, I want to come to your concert. Can I just give you the money? And then you know it can make this happen. So there was uh, um, I've yet to sort of really go through a, de a detailed level and see what all the responses were. But there were the people who wrote to me. There were a fair number who just didn't want to have another thing that they had to sign up for. Um, and so I do think you know among my listeners there are some who will be like, okay, cool. I've kind of heard of that company. Yeah, I'll sign up for it, whatever. And there is a class of my listeners who are like, well, no, I I, I want to go to your concert, but I'm not gonna. Who, who is this other company? Yeah. So, so I think what we're getting yeah. to here is, is the question of platforms. Yeah. Um, and this comes up quite often. You know, should this be something that is between fan and artist completely? And how do you do that? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've seen happen is, is that you know, artists will often then have to face awkward customer service questions about yeah. things that you might not necessarily want to get yourself into. So. What is the thinking there? Is it one more thing to sign up for that's annoying? Is there a way to get around that fact? Right. Well, there is. I mean, there's the, there's there's multiple things about trust. There's the the trust of the transaction, and then the trust of that you're going to be delivered the item that you actually paid for, mm -hmm. um, and the the trust in this whole platform. So, I think you know that goes back to selling music from a site. Like as soon as PayPal came along, we discussed this. Mm. People were willing to go and buy something from an artist's site because PayPal was trustworthy. Right. Um, so that that is an issue, and it's certainly true. I would not give any old artist my credit card number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so I definitely would like to have a piece there in the transaction thing. Um, but uh, I, I think going back to your thing of like what class of listeners, some people are going to be like, okay, yeah, this is how the internet works. There's going to be a transaction level in between me and the artist, and I'm just going to deal with that. Um, but it would be really great to be able to have a lot of choice from an integration standpoint so that I can integrate it into my site or there's going to be people who are only going to go through the channel of you know, your companies. And so only so to you, there. is it the question of it being songkick.com slash your name is the barrier if it lived on your platform I and you could have the entire thing within your platform? I think you need to have as, as many as possible. I would like both. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are going to only go through Songkick. Some people are only going to go through Bandpage. Some people are, you know, only going to go through ZoeKeening.com. Yeah. Um, or only through Twitter. <laughs> and so, what do you guys think platform-wise about about you know APIing or, or putting in iframes into 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 bands' websites? So we so we were talking about this earlier. Like WordPress is always like um, a skeleton. You, know, yeah. you can 
mix and match anything you would like with it, yep. and it's very flexible. But then we were talking also the trust level, the design issue, do you know actually where to land and hit? Um, I like you know the seamless uh, UI of a platform because you can get the same reputation, the same experience over and over again. But at the same time, we have artists asking us all the time for an iframe or, or for an API for their for their website. So that's just something that um, I'm open to testing. You know, we're not there yet. And and uh, Jay, how about you? Mm -hmm. Well, Zoe's you know my customer, so I'm gonna build that if that's what you want. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so we do that. So we do that right now. So you don't, you know, when a fan buys an experience, there is not a sign up to band page. It's just a checkout. Um, and the other cool thing. So I, if you don't know my background, I manage bands and venues for six years, and I'm a musician. And so I have a lot of empathy for you know uh, that process and that relationship and everything. So we give you the email address. We give you everything. Um, you know, directly from the from the artist to the fan, vice versa. And um, you know, we just launched this to 50 bands. We're going to roll it out to our half a million bands, and um, it's going to go along with with you know uh, the, the the central idea of Bandpage, which is you put your information in, and it goes to all these places. And so, the experiences will also live on your site as well. So it does both. Let's do something scientific here. How many of you guys and gals, ladies, sorry, how many of you, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Being terribly, I'm being a terrible Englishman at this point. I apologize. Um, uh, can we just have a show of hands? Uh, who would rather um, have this type of thing on an artist website versus a platform? Artist website, platform. Burning Man site was awful. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. How many just aren't interested at all? Oh, so great. Right, we so got it. Yeah. We're right. So we're yeah. covering everything. Okay, we have a future. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'd like to, to think about in terms of if the artists, I mean, there are, there are platforms like Ignition Deck, which will put in basically a turnkey crowdfunding solution into a WordPress site. That's literally their thing. It's 75 bucks. It's run off PayPal. And I've seen people run this, this type of thing before. One of the things that occurred to me is, that does that not um, shut out people who might want to have a communal experience somewhere? And also, should these experiences live in Facebook? I mean, talking from you know, your background, is that something that you should put into the social networks as well? Yeah. What's the place of the social network in this? Can you, you know, because we can put iframes pretty much anywhere. They get clunky and strange at times, but it's doable. Is that, do we think, what fans want? Yes, I think fans are everywhere. So our belief is, you know, Bandpage is not the only place fans are. They're on Twitter, they're on Pandora, they're on Facebook, they're everywhere. And so the more we can help you reach your fans and, and get it to them in the particular ecosystem that they enjoy, the more you know, money we're, and relationships we're going to create for you. If, I mean, if you think about, so this is just another way of thinking about um, your fans and distribution. So um, you know, we used to, it just used to be brick and mortar where you created a song uh, or a CD or an album and it, you'd have to literally uh, physically distribute it to record stores to your town to your town to your town so you could walk out your front door drive down the street and buy that record um, today you know that's that's gone people aren't buying you know songs or tickets in the physical world as nearly as much like a, going to a box office and buying a ticket it's all online and so when you think about the online you know world there are towns there as well Facebook is a town Twitter is a town Pandora is a town Da, da, da. Uh, WordPress is the town, and fans 
um, for example, if if I'm on um, you know Spotify, for example, town. If I live there, I'm not going to go to Audio Town or go to you know Google Music Town. So your information, yep. you know, fans are all over the place, I and so I think as, as many as possible is the, yep. the best bet. That sort of seems what we end up doing is putting it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I've spoken with a lot of artists lately, and I think one of my biggest issue with putting it everywhere and always blasting it is that you lose that sense of touch uh, and personality because there's a huge difference between you writing about your song and going through that process or someone going through uh, Pledge Music and through releasing their album to I'm on a fucking boat and here's some champagne. And my, my problem is is that Fans now have become Facebook fans, and it's small little interactions. And I think that the focus should be more on the people that actually want to pay and want to be behind the music. Um, and while well, I think your services kick ass, I think that blasting it out there constantly mm -hmm. might not be the right thing where retaining it in one central environment. Well, I mean, as an example of it, so let's say. I'm on Facebook and I get the experience to, I see this thing in front of me and I go, oh, I can do this. Should that live in Facebook? I don't think so. Yeah. Or what about, I think it might be a level of distinction because it's, it's true, like I wouldn't want to tell the entire universe the history of the song or how this came from, that I just spent 48 hours in like an altered state in a room, you know? <laughs> like I don't want to, a natural music-induced altered state. But, um, <laughs> the, like, I posted that to... No animals were home. <laughs> no animals were home. I posted that to, like, my listeners on SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, however, you know, if I was in Pandora and I'm listening to, you know, a radio station and I'm listening to, like, an artist that I listen to all the time on Pandora, um, I would love to know that, like, they have something special that I could tip mm -hmm. in for, like, their right. art. Um, because I'm already invested in that artist. So there's kind of like there's a level of investment first before those things. It's Completely agree. So I, th yeah. I think that's, yeah. but you don't know what platform the listener is on. So it's more like being kind of platform neutral, but then having an experience level, bef you know, above that. Above yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And so to be specific about that, it's it's being able to know the fans that you are showing these things to that they're you know super fans as you as you can call them, and so. Um, you know, when when you're sending them out, you can actually highly target the people that would actually want to see the mm -hmm. see the inf type of information. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that um, this comes up a lot with artists who've done kind of an audacious release or have done some incredible experiences, who have crowdfunded tours, who've done that type of thing. Where do you go from there? Like, once the genie's out of the bottle, once you've done one thing, what's the next step from that? In crowdfunding, the biggest thing that we always hear is is people saying, how do I go back to the well again? How do I keep asking for money? How do I do that time and time again? And um, I'd love to know your thoughts on once you've done this, once the experience genie's out of the bottle, how do you go back to regular releasing of albums? It comes out X, Y, and Z. Is it possible to go back? Should they? You probably have a lot of experience with this. <laughs> Tons, but I'm, so I'm a moderator talk. today. No, you so. should talk. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much experience in that department, so mm. you should... Well, I think we were talking about segmenting the fan base, right? Okay, cool. So I think we were talking about segmenting the fan base, right? Mm. Some fans will always 
be there to buy it on iTunes or to buy it on Bandcamp or to stream on Spotify. And some fans will always want more. So I think as an artist, it's just knowing where your true core stands and you know what they want. Um, I, you know, I haven't done it as an artist, so I, I won't know per se. But I think yeah. I think there's a broad enough term of the fan where yeah. you can try things and still go back to something if yeah. um, if it didn't work. As long as you're honest about it, mm. you know, and it hasn't become your daily source of income. So I'd say, you know, it's funny because I understand that perspective where you feel that way as an artist uh, and me as a musician as well. Like. Um, you feel like you're you're asking for help, but actually on the other side, your fans are like dying to do this stuff with mm -hmm. you, and you know that, mm -hmm. right? And they're and and cool. If you did one particular experience with them, then great. They might want to do another one too. Mm -hmm. And so, from you know going from the emotion of like, hey, please help me do this thing, to like, hey, cool, I'm gonna give you this experience, right. is I think the way we we really try to help people. Um, yep. You know, look at it. Just on a on a note of, of again data because I'm stuck with it these days. Um, one of the interesting things was is that when respondents to this one survey that I was a part of were asked how many bands do you love enough to do this with, the average respondent said 11. There were 11 artists that they wanted this experience with, and so a lot of them were basically sitting there saying, "Why isn't my favorite band doing something along these lines?" I think we can all basically say that there is massive demand about it. It's, it's do we get it, you know, how do we get it right? Does it live on artists' websites? Can they create a community within that website that will sustain this type of thing on an ongoing basis? Mm -hmm. And then should it go on? On an anecdotal piece of evidence on my end, I remember once a 19-year-old journalism student interviewing me about what I do, and he said, you've ruined CD buying for me, which I counted as a you know, personal triumph. Um, uh, because he said, I can't go back. I can't go back to just going to a store mm -hmm. and finding a, you know, a, some music on some 1980s technology anymore. Ironically, he bought vinyl. But um, so th that was what I was trying to get to was is that like, does it have to continue to grow? You know, do you go back to the well each time? I, I was going to say something I was just thinking Please. about in re regards to your question, which is that um, I don't. Again, I think that it's an art form on the artist's part mm. that you can go back and forth because I've always been a very accessible artist. Um, it's just that it's an informal accessibility and in that you know I had a concert in New yeah. York in October and I just impromptu ended up going out to dinner with uh, an avid listener and his two daughters, like his two like eight-year-old daughters. Cause, and um, so I do things like that all the time and I'm sort of known for it. So, But then at the same time, I might disappear for a month into the studio and not talk to anybody. So. Um, mm. You know, I think I think once you've gone down the route of letting someone into your studio, you can easily shut the door again. Do you do you guys have any questions? By the way, anyone want to ask anything? Are we covering all of that? Oh, yeah. please! Are we going to get a microphone to you, sir? If we could. Um, regarding um, having the crowdfunding on site or on a platform, are there any numbers um, regarding whether or not any of these people that that uh, pledge on the crowdfunding, whether or not they go to sites like Kickstarter or Pledge Music, that they're actually sort of shopping, just looking through different projects, or are they all driven by the, the artist in the first place? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I know, for example, um, if you're featured in the on the homepage of any of these sites, if you're in the newsletter, there is a community who just do this. This is what they want to do. I'm friends with Yancey from Kickstarter, and he was saying that there's a bunch of people who just put one dollar into a project every day or every week or whatever it is, you know. And um, uh, that that's one of the reasons that I think that, you know, I've seen an artist not want to pay the commission for a crowdfunding site because they wanted to use an ignition deck type thing and do it themselves. So they'll have a successful crowdfunding experience, but it won't grow beyond it. Um, I think, you know, uh, you know, data-wise, if you've got hundreds of thousand people in one place, all of whom can one-click buy, it's the iTunes mentality, would be what I would say. You know, would you withhold your music from iTunes because they keep your data? Doesn't really make sense. Well, because they, you know, you know iTunes charges 30%. I mean, it's a very, very expensive place to be, and yet we all, mm -hmm. as artists, wanted to be there. So, um, you know, if you do a crowdfunding campaign on your own website, I'm not just, you know, how would it grow? How would more people discover it? You know, um, one of the things that I think would be interesting to see, particularly with you, the experience um, thing that you guys are, are working on, is is that does it cross pollinate to other music fans? You know, let's just take Nielsen at their word and say that that, that people want this experience with eleven fans, with, with eleven with eleven different artists. If you're not in that ecosystem, you're just not there. And so I think that that would be, you know, and that's about sharing technology and discovery. So that would be the question. Have you got anything? Yeah, so I think, um, so to answer your question specifically, I think for musicians, I'm going to go, I need to go directly to the one that I'm going to buy. I think a platform can help to, like, introduce you to other stuff. But it's kind of like if I go to Etsy, right? Etsy is made up of a bunch of people that, uh, you know, make crafts, uh, whether that's bracelets or pillows or, you know, tables and chairs and stuff. I can go to Etsy and search for wooden chair, you know, um, and get a bunch of really cool things uh, that I can buy. But I, um, but if I go to, you know, a platform and, and type in, you know, a particular genre, then there's going to come up, you know, tons of different musicians are going to come up and I have to listen through each one and see if I really want to do that particular experience with them. So there's a much higher chance of me uh, transacting if if you're the musician and you share out a link and I click on it because I'm already a fan of you to buy it versus you, you know, me as a fan just coming to the site and like browsing and finding something. Sure. Repeat pledgers, right? That would be an indication that yep. people are sort of going through the campaign. Well, what was the percentage um, of Kickstarter of the? I mean, I mean, I don't know Kickstarter's exact percentage, okay. but you know, I can speak to our, you know, ours is that you know, um, we see about 15 percent. On more than one campaign, about um, four percent on more than th uh, more than three campaigns across platforms. But um, what we've also seen is is that amongst a certain segment of the fam, like in certain genres, it'll be thirty percent conversion to more than one campaign, and you know fifteen percent to more than three. And um, we were really surprised by that. I've met personally pledgers who pledged on you know forty, fifty campaigns at this point. They want that experience. Um, and uh, and you know and, and the ironic thing is is that you'll start a, a platform or a concept for a company to do one thing and the fans will drive it in a different direction. You know the biggest complaint we got from pledgers was we want more we want more artists. You're, you're, you haven't got enough to recommend to us. You know we have a recommendation engine it sends you to other artists but they want more than that. Um, so. I mean that's my, my experience. You're saying that's like 15 percent yeah. of the user base. Yeah. So there's your number. <laughs> 
Yeah, so so essentially there was, um, you know, we, we, we don't have enough classical projects to really make it make that make sense. Jazz, we have a lot. Um, you know, we have we do campaigns for people who aren't even living anymore, and those do really well too. So it's a really odd, it's it's a mix. But again, you know, if you can if you can create an experience out of the making of a box set for someone who's no longer in the world, it just shows people want that they're, they're desperate for it. You know, so I think that you know you're right on the money with what you're doing. I think the question is is that how does it scale? How do you how do you you know can massive artists and the smaller artists do this in the same in the same place and is it relevant so I'll, I'll answer that question so you know we have uh, everyone from you know dead prez and george clinton doing experiences for anywhere from 100 bucks to a thousand dollars that have sold out but then we've had um you know up and coming bands that um they did uh, along their tour, they did um, it's thirty dollars to meet us backstage, uh, and we'll play you two songs before the show uh, for ten people at every show, and they paid for their entire for their van for the entire tour by doing that. Um, and so it's funny because I think yeah for the you know when you think about doing stuff like this, you think oh that's like you know the the mid tier to upper tier artists, but um, you know the the long tail of artists haven't ever had an easy way to just put something up and, and create, you know, put it for sale. But like, you know, I, I have a, a couple friends around here that are musicians um, that I would love to, to you know, um, write, a, write a song with them or have them write a song for, you know, somebody or, um, and for them, you know, like 50, 100, a couple hundred bucks to be able to, 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 to do that is, is a big deal. Like this particular band, every night I think they made, um, I think five between five hundred and seven hundred dollars, and every night they made three hundred extra dollars off of off of doing that. And so, you know, that's that's a big opportunity for uh, up and coming bands as well as mid tier and large. Do you guys have any more questions? Because I can keep asking them if you like. Okay. Question for you, Zoe. Do you think you would feel comfortable asking your fan base to subscribe on an ongoing basis? Um. When I when I I've thought about that in the past, um, and the thing that's come up is that I'm not very regular, <laughs> in that you know I've <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> I don't like continually release music. You know I'm a mother, so I'll go through periods of time where I'm not working on music and I'm just touring, or or like right now I'm in the studio and I'm putting out music. So, so I think uh, my concern would be like if I do a subscription that I couldn't like, I'd have to artificially stagger out the things which. Would be unnatural for me, and anything that's unnatural is a bad idea. How much? Um, <laughs> and and if it could bring in X amount of revenue for you, would that be worth it? And if so, how I much? D I don't know. I don't know if I need the money. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if, if if the money is worth enough for me to change the fact that I do it now for free. Because this like, is one of the things that we just so saw recently with with um, Day Trotter, for example. Day Trotter yeah. rolled out a really cool, you know, a way of subscribing to to Day Trotter for X amount, and then they they also added a function whereby you could add money in afterwards. Yeah. So you're subscribing to Day Trotter, but you can tip the artist, and yeah. there's lots of tip jar type sites out there. I, one thing I was going to say is that. Um, this, this is me personally and why I have resisted sort of crowdfunding kind of things, which is that I've been very um, intent on creating the experience between me and my listeners on my own terms, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I don't work with a record label and I am kind of independent. And so I've resisted crowdfunding because then the um, English person and me, having spent my childhood in England, I think this is where this comes from, I will feel obligated to every single one of them. Um, 
on, on a deeper level than I am now for things mm. for for some other reasons that it's hard to describe, and that will make it so that it might change how I would operate. And so because of, because of my sense of obligation. Yeah. And so. as, <laughs> so we're thinking about that. So, so you know, <laughs> I remember when when the U2 fan club rose up in revolt against U2, saying that their fan club was basically a shit experience. And there was a group letter saying, we pay you guys money for this and nothing comes. And as you said before, the band wasn't doing anything or, or mm -hmm. they were you know, investing in things or surfing or whatever it was. So how do you think that services like yours could fit into or replace the fan clubs that exist? Um, I mean, so we, experiences are whenever the artist wants to do it um, mm -hmm. and whenever they're ready. And you can set one up in a couple minutes and then have it live and take them down it's it's full control so so if you're a fan club member mm -hmm. would you feel like you're i paid to be in the fan club you're offering an extra experience do i get a deal on it or wouldn't you feel you know what i mean this comes up a lot for us is why i'm okay. bringing it up yeah well what do they say well the answer is, is we opt them into a, a portion of what we do mm -hmm. um uh, automatically for free mm -hmm. so we will take a huge file of the fan list people and they're automatically opted into the campaign for free and then they can choose the items that they buy on top of that just different models yeah, yeah yeah for for us we um you know at this point we the, the experiences that they're doing at um, are very different from like what they would traditionally do in in a fan club scenario which is like hey early thing early announcement on tickets and um, you know, uh, first listen to a song and things like that. And so the experience, like we call it experiences because we don't want it to just be merch. We want it to be an actual mm -hmm. experience. Um, and, um, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're different. And so do you have us. a fan club? I do not. No. 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 And uh, how about you, Omri? Cause you, you're obviously putting in a subscription level. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, the thing is that it's not just about merch, it's about experiences, but on top of that, and you know, not being um, consistent mm -hmm. per se, it's um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the uh, it's the ongoing journey, mm -hmm. and I think it's you riding along. And you know, we uh, talk to artists and encourage them to, you know, drop a note, you know, once a month. And it's not just a tweet. It's not just a Facebook post. It's something more meaningful. Mm -hmm. It's the experience of we have our hours every five days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it's about showcasing who the individual is behind the music. Because, you know, when we were talking about it um, upstairs, I love a musician. As much as I love their music, it's them. And I expect awesome shit to come out of, you know, what they do all the time. But there is an ongoing support for them. Mm -hmm. And for us, when it the subscription here, it's not just for the content, but it's to be involved mm -hmm. in the ongoing process of what is the creative mind. Right. So, w would you have a creative fan club? Um, I don't think so. No. no. Has I, mean, anyone in I the feel like I already have a fan club. You know that. Yeah. I, I, am talking to them directly. I'm blogging to them. I'm conversing with them on Twitter, on Facebook. Is anyone in the room a member so. of a band's fan club? Raise your hand high if that's two the case. people. Yeah. Fan club's not winning today. Excellent. I mean, that's a great point, though. Yeah. I think you know, just to pay attention to that is like. And, but I mean, at the same time, with if you have your favorite artist, that's you know that you get to watch them record their mm -hmm. next mm -hmm. album, or like for an hour, you get to watch them in the studio. You have to get to be in the studio, or they'll they'll play you a song for ten minutes on Skype or Google Hangout. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to speak to that too. I mean, you know, 
I know that, for example, George Benson's about to do a whole bunch of Skype one-on-one -on -one guitar lessons with fans because they were dying for it. And he was on the he was in USA Today saying, "Finally, I've got a way to connect with my fans." So I think that there's, you know, if George could do it, you know, and yeah. he was into the idea. Um, uh, have you seen an it go horribly wrong? Any experiences that have really just not worked out at all? Anything that's just been a little close to the bone? I think it's you know in this um, during this period where this is becoming some uh, something that's happening more often with with musicians, it's just them fulfilling um, the particular experience. Um, you know, you great, you make like you know five thousand bucks or fifty thousand um, dollars from people, your fans buying these experiences. Well, make sure that you've planned out if all of the, if this thing sells out, how you're going to fulfill all of them. And I think. Um, you know that. What happens if the artist doesn't fulfill? And then it's on the between the artist and the fan. And the fan, you know, can obviously ask for a refund, but the uh, the terms of service are between the artist and the fan. Yeah, that's definitely come up with people's Kickstarter projects yeah. and mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. For me, like you know, when I'm when I'm funding somebody else's project, I um I don't usually care about the result. It's more like I'm in your camp where I'll give somebody a hundred bucks just because I want to support their project. Right. But um, I know that you know. For Very un-English. <laughs> Trust me, the, the English are like, where's my, where's I don't, my, I, don't want the thing. I pledged eight pounds yeah. last week, where is it, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I was just thinking that of all the Kickstarters that I funded, I think I've only gotten something from one of them. Like, yeah. either they, oh, wow. um, yeah. It's, Actually, um, that's true, I've funded two recently, yeah. and I haven't seen shit from it. But uh, that's just not, but for me, that's not the point, but um, it does, I know other artists who've struggled to fulfill their, the things that they've, that they've put as experience. But the cool thing yeah. is, is you think, uh, again, about this as a new revenue stream. Like right now, musicians make money off of touring, off of selling their music, and then, you know, merch and sync licensing is for some in the mix. Um, but, um, you know, when you think about putting together a tour or mm -hmm. putting together an album, there are a lot of logistics uh, and things that you need to fulfill for your, for your fans. Um, and so, you know, w what we're saying is like, this is not... Like uh, this is not something to see do as your side project. This is something mm -hmm. to create sustainable revenue with that can become you know 25% of your overall revenue. Think about that, right? Like that's that's a serious impact on on your overall revenue. And if you take it as seriously as that, then it's not difficult to fulfill that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like oh, I'm just gonna make an extra grand, or yeah, you know, I think also too here. like um, there's still that line we went when we started out this of that. I feel very strongly about being accessible, and I want people to be able mm -hmm. to have these experiences without having to have money. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes, like in the case of you know a meeting up with all the string instrument players before a concert, it might be that they're too broke to come to a concert, and I can't get them out on the guest list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. like things like that are important to me in in, sure. in the way of sort of egalitarian egalitarianizing the music experience. Mm -hmm. So some of them I would charge for, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Question from the lady here. Hi. Um, so aside from the ideas of, so I represent a band and of course crowdfunding and increasing the revenue is really important. But one thing that seems also important is to get our new fans to spread the word to their friends and everything. And I was wondering if you guys have any ideas or thoughts on, because we make new fans all the time and then they buy CDs, but I want them, for me it's just as valuable for them to go and tell 10 of their friends and how do we incentivize them with prizes or rewards to do something like that. Sounds like a startup. <laughs> Well, so so we just did this thing with um, Sarah Evans. She's like a pretty 
uh, popular country artist and um, instead of charging for so what she's doing is you you get the chance to sing with Sarah Evans at the Country Music Awards um, if you um, but but what you have to do is submit a video of you singing her song um, and it's a, f a free submission and so um, like like I said you know we really um, suggest that bands have every kind of cover every level the the minnows dolphins and whales and so for the minnows this is for everybody so she's getting you know thousands of fans to put videos uh into the system as well as um you know their email address and then what are they doing with that video they're posting on facebook to be like hey i just you know i just created this video for this competition of this thing that i might be able to win um in the words you know word spreads so i think um um, I think you're right. Yeah, you you need to give something for people that are just there at the beginning, as well as the ones that want to spend a bunch of money. But at the same time, something that we're doing is that you get an once you subscribe to an artist, or like so you get a new fan, right? Um, they get a thank you video right from the artist, and it's those so small things that you just put like a social cue, like sharing on Facebook and Twitter, to say this was such an awesome experience. Uh, I think from the artist's perspective, is you have to think okay, I just acquired a new fan, I acquired a new individual, how do I make the first 30 seconds of their experience something meaningful? Um, and it's small things like that, our 30 second clip made the whole experience much more authentic and much more full. Um, so it's more of giving them a reason to share and a reason to be proud of it and feel like they're a part of something. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking that one, one one great addition to, I'm thinking about all the services that you know you guys have and other people are proposing, would be um, in addition to sort of having something like a, that experiences, would be that there would be another level for artists like me who are so overwhelmed <laughs> that they, they would love to do this, but that we don't have the administrative wherewithal to be able to handle another thing. Mm -hmm. So there should be like another tier where you take a higher percentage in order to manage the whole thing. <laughs> do you want to do so, that? Yeah. So all right. That's, let's talk. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, just I'll speak to that. We actually went a technology route on that, um, just for our thing, which I can talk about with you afterwards, but we actually built some syndicating technology, which means that everything that the artist does, the fans auto share for them. So as things roll out, it does it that way. But I think that you do speak to a point, which is something that we've always talked about, which is that you know, fans need things, more reasons to, to get involved in things, not just more things to buy. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the experiences can provide a really um, important engine for that. Anyone got any more questions before we, oh, two questions. Can we do one more? Is it a quick one? Um, Medium? It's, yeah. Go for it. Just say quick and then I'll keep I'm interested in, I know Benji, you pledge music is a big charity element. Mm -hmm. And I'm just interested in what you guys think of how charity is going to like dovetail into the crowdfunding experience in the future. It, it has been, yeah. It's it's been a part, and it's becoming a big part of it. It's when you when you work with some of the bigger artists that are making millions of dollars off of their careers already. It's it's something that they can use to, um, you know, give to the charity that they you know support the most. I definitely see us but it's having growing. a component in the future, yeah. along with charity. I think that I would like for us, as a company, to be charitable in our own sense. I think you know that's something an individual chooses, but I also see what we're doing as charitable. I mean, our goal is to create sustainable creative careers. Um, so my focus is first to, you know, realign this industry, and then um, once we have that going, you know, <laughs> help make more art. 
So anything to Nothing to say, just thumbs up. We can talk about that afterwards, but yeah. Um, <laughs> one more question. Hi. Going back to your analogy on the three tiers, what are your thoughts on the other side of selling only one product at a mid-level and selling more of those items rather than having the fan have to choose? You're telling the fan, this is the best product that we're making. You want this one. Well, I, yeah, I think people just don't have that that money. So if you're if you're only uh -huh, yeah, so there are three tiers, right? The the minnows, dolphins, and whales. And I mean the the minnows that can be just like a 99 cent. Here here's like the song that we created. You can buy it for 99 cents. And then the the mid tier can be like get on Skype and I'll sing you this song for you know for 50 or 100 bucks. And then for a thousand dollars I'll come to your house and play it. You know, and so you can kind of give them give them the tiers of of that particular experience. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. That's mid-level, and it would take away the choice, and mm -hmm. you would possibly sell more of those items. I think the re the research just shows that um, you're you're leaving a lot of people out, and if and we've seen like negative reactions happen when when an artist like because even like a mid-level uh, item can be uh, excluding a large majority of people too. So. You know, if you're comparing it to, you know, focusing a consumer on one thing to buy versus, um, you know, giving them options, I think that's generally true that you want to focus them in on one thing. But for the most part, they'll be able to fit themselves into like one of those three categories. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to wrap it up. Thank you very much, Omri, Jay, and Zoe. <laughs> Thanks for having us.